You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 115. Today's reading is from John chapter 5, verses 24 through 30. The Lord said to the Jews who came to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and to those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I can do nothing on my own authority. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Our reading today is heard at every Orthodox funeral service, and it's a passage that gives me both hope and and causes some apprehension at the same time. And I say this because of an uh, apparent contradiction in the passage. On the one hand, we read that, quote, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. And later we read that all of us will, of course, face the judgment seat of Christ at the general resurrection. And we've discussed this topic uh, before, Father. It seems to come up every now and then, but it's been a while. And, of course, this is a debate that's been raging for centuries. Is it faith alone? Is it faith, you know, this this uh, argument of faith versus work? So help us unpack this, Father. Yeah, of course, as you mentioned, it's been a debate for some time in various Christian circles and is often the case when these situations arise that people tend to pick a side and they sort of dig their heels in to argue that side's position. And when this happens, the truth of the matter is often lost as people become increasingly polemical. But the truth and the Bible are often much more nuanced than the positions that people take. And how so, especially in this case? Well, there's so many different angles that we could take on this issue, but let me just begin by saying this. And uh, up front, to be clear, anytime I make a proposition an overarching statement about the Bible, whenever anyone does that for that matter, we always need to test those statements against the text itself. What I mean by that is the text, of course, is authoritative, not me, not you. And even in our Orthodox Church, people argue about this, but the reality is that even the proclamation of ecumenical councils are only valid inasmuch as they themselves at the council were referring to the text of Scripture and arguing about what that text means. You can't make up something new per se. And I say this at the beginning because I'm going to make a statement about how to better understand what you said, this apparent contradiction. And that statement will show that there is no contradiction. And I'm making this statement based on my own years of studying the text, and it's going to help us make quicker progress today when I just state it up front. But the listener of this podcast is welcome to go back to the text, check it out for themselves, and I believe you'll see uh, that what I say is true and makes the most sense, and we'll see that as we go throughout today as well. And so then what is that statement and, and that proposition that you want to make? When you read anything in the Bible about believing God or hearing God or calling upon God, and it relates to salvation, 
to properly understand that, you need to be aware of the fact that the Bible is not using those words in the most literal sense or in an exclusive sense. And what I mean by that is the biblical writer assumes, and again, it will be obvious when you start reading the text with this in mind, you'll be able to see it, that the author assumes that you will also be living the faith. So am I understanding this correctly then, that when the Bible talks about believing in God, it's not just an intellectual belief in your head, but a way of life. Yeah, precisely. And and when, like in this passage today, it, it talks about hearing the voice of God. It means that you're actually putting that into practice. Think about it uh, as a parent. Jason and I were both parents. And at least for me, I can say that when I tell my kids to do something, and I know that they heard me, but they aren't doing it, I question them, did you hear what I said? Now, of course, I know they heard me in the most literal sense, but as your parent, I'm asking them, when you hear me command you to do something, my expectation is that you'll do it. Otherwise, I act and question whether or not you heard me. So I think that's a practical example of how this works in our own lives. Father, as you're laying this case, I I can't help but think about the passage in James' epistle where he says, even the demons believe and tremble. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, he goes on to speak about how we prove our belief, our our faith in our heads, by the way we live our lives. Yeah, exactly, Jason. It's, It's important to point out that James is essentially mocking this idea in that passage you refer to. He's mocking the idea that a person can believe only in the intellectual sense and find salvation. That's why he points out that even the demons believing, having this intellectual belief in God, recognizing that God exists, but they do not live their lives accordingly. So ultimately, Father, it seems like we're the ones who create what you might call a false contradiction between faith and works. Is that accurate to say? Yeah, the great way to put it. From the biblical perspective, having a true faith necessitates that you live a certain way. I've pointed this out many times before, but I think it bears repeating that the word faith or belief in the Bible can also be translated into English as trust. And to put your trust in someone means that you do what they tell you to do because you believe in them. You have faith that things will turn out well if you follow them. And that's exactly what's going on in this passage, because as you noted, you have the reference to the impending judgment as well. So to hear Jesus, to believe in him, put put your trust in him, means ultimately that you think following his teaching and way of life will lead to a good defense at the judgment seat. And then before we move on, I want to mention one more thing about this concept of, of faith and works. Yes, yes, please go ahead. So the other thing to always remember is that salvation, biblically speaking, functions as an inheritance. Yeah, I've, I've always found that analogy that you give very helpful. So I'd ask maybe you'd elaborate on that again for those who haven't heard or who have forgotten, uh, for people like myself who just need to hear it repeated again and again. Yeah, sure. So like an inheritance, salvation is never, never, ever earned. Like an inheritance, we can lose salvation. We can waste the gift that God has given us. But even if we keep that gift, we have never earned it. It was never ours in the first place. It was a gift given because of God's love and God's mercy. And an inheritance is exactly the same. Someone else earned the money or the gift that they're now passing down to you, even though you didn't earn it. Now, if you live a life that is not pleasing to your parents or grandparents or whoever it may be that is passing down an inheritance, they might change their will so that you're cut out of the inheritance. 
But if you do live a life that's pleasing to them and they keep you in the will, it will still never mean that you have earned the inheritance by definition. And we should keep this in mind when reading the Bible and especially when debating, you know, these false dichotomies like faith versus works. There is no dichotomy. There is no earning salvation in any sense. You do not earn salvation by having faith and you do not earn salvation by having works. You're given this gift of salvation by God. And if you do not live as he commanded you to live, then he will cut you out of his will and that gift will be taken away. And a classic example of this teaching, those of us who are Orthodox, if we followed the readings or were in church and heard the readings during Holy Week, we heard it, the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. And note how this parable is tied up with the parable of the sheep and the goats that we hear on Judgment Sunday in the Orthodox Church. And I point this out because it shows this connection between God's gift, our inheritance, and how we either keep or lose it. So in the parable of the talents, the talent at that time, of Jesus' time, is money, and it represents in this parable God's mercy, our inheritance. Those who multiply the mercy, who make more talents, more money, and who later in the parable of the sheep and the goats take care of the poor and the needy, in that same chapter again, Matthew 25, those are the ones who keep the inheritance, who are not cut out of the will. However, the one who just puts that talent, that mercy in the ground, and gave it back, showed it back to the master in the end, the person who, in other words, did not multiply the mercy, that person was the one who was condemned, and even the one talent that that person had, that mercy that God had given him up front, was taken away. So again, I encourage people to think of salvation in this way, just keep repeating it over and over until you fully understand it and integrate it, that salvation is like an inheritance, you can never earn it, but you can lose it if you do not live according to Jesus' life and teaching. Appreciate the explanation, Father. Thank you. So to conclude today, just one final question. Why is this particular reading used for the funeral service? So the funeral service is as much, if not more, for the people attending the funeral than it is for the person already departed this life. That person has obviously finished the course and will be judged based on how they lived during their lifetime. The rest of us who are, you know, still have more opportunities to repent and to change our way of life. And so this reading is appointed to remind us, the hearer, that we will all stand before the judgment seat. And it's a reminder that the resurrection itself is functional. People get excited about the resurrection and always speak of it in a positive sense, but the reality is different. The reality as we confess in the Nicene Creed, is that we are all raised up, but for a specific purpose and reason, to be judged. And so this reading reminds us of that and warns us that some will be raised to what Jesus calls the resurrection of judgment, and that is not good because the way he refers to it here is that we will be under condemnation. On the other hand, some will be raised to what he calls the resurrection of life, which is good, and he clearly distinguishes between what determines our ultimate state, what determines our judgment. It is, in his words, whether we have done good or whether we have done evil. And the final thing then to point out relates to this. It's common for us to say so-and-so was a good person in a very generic sense, but what Jesus is talking about when he says that they have done good or evil is not at all generic. In fact, it's quite specific. What is good is what he defines throughout the gospel as good, and what is evil is what he, throughout the gospel, defines as evil. So we should be careful not to think in these broad, generic terms, I'm a good person, because as Jesus taught, even sinners are good to those who are good to them. 
So just because we might be good to most people, it's irrelevant when it comes to the judgment. What matters is whether we're good to those who are evil towards us. These sorts of things, the meat of Jesus' teaching, that is what defines in the biblical sense and at our judgment whether we did good or did evil. Thank you, Father. Today's discussion revolved around the passage from John 5 that is read at every funeral service. We began by examining the apparent contradiction between faith and works. And Father Aaron explained that we must first understand that the biblical author assumes that if you truly have faith, then you will also be living the faith. Put another way, faith is not just an intellectual concept, but a way of life. And from a biblical perspective, having true faith requires that you live in a certain way. Father then went on to remind us that salvation functions as an inheritance, which can never be earned, but can be lost. Salvation is not earned by having faith, nor is it earned by our works. It is given to us as a gift. But if we do not live as God commanded, then we will find ourselves cut out of the will, and the gift will be lost. Finally, we discussed the use of this passage in the funeral service itself. And Father stressed that the funeral service is as much, if not more so, for the people attending than it is for the departed. For we still have time to repent and change our way of life before we stand before the judgment seat. Jesus tells us that some will be raised to the resurrection of life, while others to the resurrection of judgment. What determines our ultimate state is, in Christ's words, whether we have done good or whether we have done evil. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God. O our God.